You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good morning. I'm Jason Kong. And Bill, uh, an early happy Father's Day to you. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. Good morning. Uh, hope everyone is enjoying their summer. Um, you know, it just amazes me how quickly the time goes by, and here we are already. Uh, and it's. Uh, Summertime, so we you know we can enjoy getting out and doing activities that we all enjoy, and it's time. It felt like summer this week. Time to be outside, whether you're uh, in the garden and weeding, uh, or uh, <laughs> uh, out uh, playing golf, or on the water, or at the beach, or whatever. But um, it's it's time to get out and enjoy the outdoors for sure. That's right. The heat is there. We're, we're feeling it this week, but that's okay. It's it comes with the perks. Well, in a, in a couple months, we'll be complaining well, about why it's not cold yet. Yeah, well, most of us enjoy the little extra warmth uh, and wearing the shorts and all that good stuff. So that's okay. That's right. And Bill, we've got a a good show planned for our listeners today. Uh, We're going to get into a little bit later on an interesting question that I'm ready to hear uh, your insight on. That's whether or not you should pay off your mortgage. But first, we're going to talk about kids. Well, I I do want to focus on young people. I I want... uh, that they would probably be offended to call them kids, but um, uh, you know, it's there are issues that a lot of folks overlook that I think um, can be helpful, and and that is when our children reach the age of majority, and most of us as parents realize that 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 uh, just because somebody turns eighteen does not mean that that uh, those children have reached an age of maturity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Myself included. Uh, well, I mean, truth is, um, okay, we turn 18, we can vote, we can join the military, we can do lots of different things, but uh, even, the, even the, uh, uh, the law says uh, we, we can't uh, drink yet, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're not so, you know, there's lots of uh, prohibitions, I guess, with that age, and it's just an acknowledgement that, that uh, those uh, children um, even though there are, they are technically adults, uh, are still children. <laughs> so it's sort of like, okay, uh, we've a, a child reaches the age of, of 18. Uh, it basically means that legally um, they make their own decisions. Um, whether they're mature enough to make those decisions or not. But there's also some other things that a lot of folks don't think about. Just because, uh, I mean, up until that point, uh, the parent has been the natural guardian of that child with the ability to make decisions for that child. In other words, a 17-year-old is not old enough to enter into a contract. Uh, the parent would have to uh, sign and or approve a contract for a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old or anybody younger mm-hmm. than that. Um, well, when once the child turns 18, they basically can make their own decisions. They can enter into their own contracts. They can pretty much uh, abandon you if they want. In other words, they can leave the home. Now, most children are smart enough not to do that. <laughs> but uh, the, the bottom line is, okay, uh, is there anything that parents might want to consider? 
about uh, a, their child turning 18. And, and th- there are a few things. So the first thing I would, I would say is um, this is a time where you might want your child to sign a health care power of attorney. Because, okay, you've been the the natural guardian, you've been able to, and in fact had to, approve and make medical decisions for this child up to this point. And at 18, you just lost that ability, uh, unless they give it back to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, this is a time where uh, a child may, uh, uh, that you may want to encourage the child to sign a healthcare power of attorney, they're you know generally they're not married, so they don't have anybody else in their life other than you as the parent. So it would be natural for a child to um, appoint you as the parent uh, as uh, a decision maker if they could not be uh, the decision maker for themselves. Now um, the bottom line is they still have the ability to trump you. Uh, in terms of making de- decisions, if they can, because with a healthcare power of attorney, uh, you're not giving over control of your healthcare decisions when you sign a power of attorney for healthcare, um, because as long as you can still communicate yourself to your physician, and that this is true for all of us. It's not just for kids. It's true for all of us. We make our own healthcare decisions as long as we can effectively communicate. But there are times when even healthy people cannot effectively communicate. And I'm not talking about when you're asleep. I'm talking about you might be in surgery and having been put to sleep. Or it might be that you've been injured. Or it might be that um, you, you uh, because of pain, you're, you've been prescribed medication where you're basically drugged up and delirious. Uh, uh, so there are times when you cannot effectively communicate, and it's temporary. Um, uh, and then there are other times when it's not temporary and very tragic. But um, the bottom line is is that um, it, unless uh, a, a health care power of attorney has been signed by the child appointing you as the agent, um, no one has the right to make that decision uh, except for the child. And if the child can't tell the doctor what to do or, or what, you know, then it becomes a, a very difficult situation. Um, there are two other documents that are helpful with health care. And so I always say that there are at least three documents that every person should have, even if they don't own a nickel, uh, you know, have no property whatsoever, which is true for most 18-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> So healthcare power of attorney is always number one. Then a declaration for natural death is very helpful um, if it's executed properly. Um, and I'm in a minority as it relates to how that works. I, in the, the documents that I do, I always encourage uh, the agent to have the ability to veto the directive. And that way if the parent is the agent in this case, and there's still hope for one reason or not, uh, even if there's an advanced directive, it gives um, the parent uh, the ability to say, not yet, we want a second opinion, you know, we're, we're not going to 
let you pull the plug. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in having the family have the ability to veto the directive. I think it's just real important. And the main reason for that is because the family does not control who the doctor is anymore. You know, if it's a life and death situation, you're in the hands of a hospitalist, and that's a doctor that works for the hospital, uh, not your primary care physician, not a physician that knows anything about you or anything else. Well, that hospitalist may be an experienced, highly credentialed um, physician who has a lot of credibility with you. Or it could be a newbie, somebody who just finished their internship and and has very little experience um, and has no credibility with you. And, you know, by thing about it is you should be able to have a second opinion or a third opinion if that's what you need uh, to, to feel secure in that uh, decision-making process. But you have to have the authority to begin with. So the healthcare power of attorney comes into play. And then there's a third document that federal law requires, and we call them HIPAA releases. Actually, it's a medical release. Uh, that complies with the Federal Privacy Act regarding your health information. Uh, and it needs to be a separate document. That HIPAA language should be contained in your health care power of attorney, but, but federal law actually requires a separate document. So it's always nice to have that separate document, too. So that's three documents. Then there is another document that can be helpful if your child is willing to give it to you. Um, and that's something that we've been doing uh, more recently in my office. Uh, and that's where we have a, a release. In other words, your permission. In other words, you're giving your parents the permission mm-hmm. um, to um, uh, have access to your data. In other words, uh, it's becoming a real problem. Uh, even, I mean, you think about it, somebody dies and they have usernames and passwords all over the cloud, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Facebook, whatever, and nobody has access to it. Nobody has permission to get to it. Nobody has uh, permission to take it down uh, or to archive it or do any of that stuff. And so having that uh, data release and permission for access uh, or control um, can be extremely important. So um, that's something that we're doing in our office just, uh, you know, as part of what we call basic documents that every person needs. Now, does an 18-year-old need a will? No. Uh, I mean, they don't own anything. Uh, the the in, uh the state law, you know, in other words, the state always has a will for you if you don't have one. Uh, basically, if a, if a child died uh, intestate without a will, uh, basically uh, the child's parents would be uh, would take the child's property. Uh, so, which is what most children would do if they did a will, they'd simply say, "I leave it to my parents" or something yeah. like that. So, uh, generally, a will is a very unimportant document for an 18-year-old because they just they don't own anything, they don't have anything, and probably won't for a few years. Um, and the same thing is is true to a lesser degree as it relates to a general durable power of attorney, which is a financial power of attorney. They don't young person really doesn't need that in any significant way because again, they don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing to control. 
uh, it can be helpful in in uh, certain uh, cases. Um, you know, I have I had my children execute a general durable power of attorney f- uh, for me, uh, but it was just cautionary. I didn't you know expect. And, and need it or even use it, but there are times when it, it can be helpful. But the healthcare pieces are really helpful. So anyway, that's uh, uh, th- you know those are the legal documents that are really helpful. The the other there is another thing that parents can do when a child is gets to the point where they're old enough to start working and having earned income. And uh, this is just a recognition that these people are, uh, these young people are not mature uh, for the most part. Uh, they tend to work in order to spend money uh, as opposed to save money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, one of the things that I encourage parents and grandparents of these um, young people to help them with is to start saving. And the, the best way to start saving when a person has earned income is to help them save into a Roth IRA. Uh, the sooner somebody starts saving into a Roth, the better. Now, for those who don't know what a Roth is, it's basically a retirement account that you cannot access for a minimum of five years once it's contributed. That's a good thing for a young person. Um, uh, but uh, it is after-tax dollars that is contributed to this account, and it can grow income tax-free, and it can be taken out income tax-free. In other words, you're, you've paid the tax going in, and so it's not taxed again going out. That's the opposite of a, a traditional individual retirement account, which you don't pay tax when the money go in goes in, but you do pay tax when it comes out. Yeah, there's a ton of advantages there, and we'll continue our discussion in just a bit. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. And Bill, we're having a discussion this morning about some things that you should do as parents when your children turn 18. And we were just uh, talking about IR, Roth IRAs, excuse me, and the differences between a traditional IRA and just how much these Roth IRAs help a young person. Well, I know. And, and see, with Roth, um, most. People don't even think about a Roth until they're in their middle income years. And by middle income years, I mean people in their 40s and 50s and say, well, gee whiz, we have this uh, Roth account out there. Really would be nice to put a bunch of money into it. But the truth is, is that once you're already making a good bit of money, your tax rate is getting up there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it may not be the highest tax rate uh, you'll ever pay, but more than likely it is. That's you know generally your high income years. 
And that's the worst time to create a Roth IRA. I mean, it's always nice to have a Roth, but uh, but the bottom line is is if you do the if if you do the numbers, um, it works out about the same in terms of what it does for you because you're having to pay a bunch of extra tax in order to get money into the IRA when your tax rate is very high. And the whole theory of traditional IRAs is you start pulling it out when, after you've retired, your income has dropped significantly. And for most people, their tax rate has dropped significantly. So you pull it out at a lower tax rate. So it's a combination of putting it in, uh, you know, and whether you're taxed when it goes in uh, and pull, and then um, – you know when are you, what's your tax rate when you pull it out? So that's um, you know it's a really important concept. So the more money that you can put into a Roth early, where your tax rate is zero or next to zero, um, or at the very lowest tax rate if you're earning a little bit of money, which is good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is when uh, people are thinking about, okay, we need to save money for tuition. We need to save money for this car. I want to buy a car. Uh, you know, those kind of things. And obviously, I'm not helping with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, you know, these retirement issues, the more money you can put back into a Roth IRA as a young person, that Money will grow, 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 and when you retire, you pull it out income tax-free. What's better than free? So, um, uh, but the thing about it is, is that people don't, young people don't have incentive. You know, retirement is not on their radar when actually it should be. So, what do you have to do as a parent or grandparent to make this work? Well, in essence, recognizing that you're limited as to how much you can contribute to a Roth, um, then what you're doing is basically saying to the child, I want you to contribute every penny that you earn this year up to the maximum Roth contribution uh, to a Roth IRA. And then let's put it in an index fund or something that will grow, grow, grow over time. Uh, and um, and then I will make that up to you. In other words, I will basically give you that money where you can spend it any way you want to, but your earned income is what we have to use in order to create this Roth IRA. So in essence, you can, cre- you can contribute up to your um, you know your maximum earnings up mm-hmm. to the limit, which I believe is it's either forty five, fifty five hundred dollars per year. So you're not going to get killed as a parent by doing that. But that could be the most important money that is ever put back for a, a child's retirement. And and there's nothing sweeter than a Roth IRA if it's put back when your income tax rate is is next to nothing. Mm-hmm. That, that's really good planning. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see. There's a big smile on your face. You yeah. get it. You get excited about it, that. It really is. But now, um, I, uh, with that said, I'll, I'll leave it there. There's some other techniques that folks can use um, uh, where they can build up nest eggs for their children. But uh, truthfully, the best ones, uh, and I would encourage people to come see me about it, uh, uh, is when a child is born. 
there are some techniques that a parent or grandparent can use to basically um, do some significant things financially for that child. Most parents and grandparents are only concerned about, well, we need to start saving for college, uh, you know, for these children. And I, I would say again that there are techniques that you can do for that. There are ways to avoid things that don't help them that much. Um, but there's some significant things that parents and grandparents can do uh, to really uh, put their child on track uh, in later years uh, if they'll just do it um, when the child is young. You know, and when if you can get to them and do do these things when a child is one year old, that that is unbelievable what what can be done for them so there's some other tricks to the trade that that uh can really make a difference but you know saving money is really hard for a lot of folks and for for young people particularly young people who are are um you know they're on their own uh they have a good job they get married they start having children things like that Saving money is really, really hard. Uh, now I know you have a, a eight month old, so tell me how easy it is to save money. Uh, it is. It's a struggle, Bill. Uh, it's to say the least. It's a struggle. Well, I mean, you've got so many things that you're uh, considering. I mean, in terms of uh, per, you know tr- paying the mortgage to buy, you mm-hmm. know, purchasing your home. It, trying to put money back for uh, your own retirement, if that's even on on your radar at this point, I hope it is. Um, uh, but uh, you know, you're trying to put money back so you can have a vacation. You're trying to put money back for the child's college. You're trying to do this and that. Plus, uh, you know, you've got more debt than you ever thought possible at this point. Uh, <laughs> So you're having to pay off uh, all the, these loans. You know, you have a car loan, you have a mortgage. You, you know, where is there is there a nickel left uh, <laughs> to save? Well, um, and you might be trying to save for a vacation or or whatever. But the bottom line is is that as a young person, it's really hard to think about. Ooh, I need to save for. 50 years from now <laughs> or right. 40 years from now. I mean, it's sort of like, well, that'll take care of itself. And the and unfortunately, it won't take care of itself. Social Security will be around, but it won't be enough to um, for you to live on. People are living longer and longer and longer. And so it means that for most people who retire, they have to have enough money for 25 to 35 years to live on, and most people aren't putting that kind of money back. And I, I really think it's going to be a crisis uh, at some point um, because whenever it comes to a, a point where Social Security is not enough for folks to at least have um, uh, enough money to for for food <laughs> and and warmth in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that kind of thing, then then we're going to be in a, a crisis mode. I, and and it, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just simply saying for those folks 
who can uh, uh, do the right things, then they're not going to be in crisis, and the ones who put the decision-making off will be in a crisis, at least the way I look at things. So um, most of us need tricks to try to save money, and I I saw some um, uh, pretty good ideas on how to save money, um, and I I get a lot of ideas from AARP, you know, the little magazine that they put out. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the hard things about uh, getting older um, is that uh, when you get your first letter from AARP, <laughs> you're going, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a senior yet. Because they, they send you that first letter when you're 50 years old. Can you believe that? They get started early. Well, shoot, 50 is the new 40. I mean, <laughs> I, I certainly didn't think of myself as even middle-aged at, at at 50, even though if you do the numbers, you got to sort of be middle-aged when you're 50. <laughs> but okay, middle-aged, but not a senior. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I think anybody who has gotten their first AARP letter will be right there with me and know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a little it's, blow to the really, ego. It is a huge blow to the ego. <laughs> um, so anyway, but... Um, uh, you know, to get back on point, uh, the the actually the magazine that they send uh, to us um, is always full of really good ideas, and and uh, this last um, one had some really good ideas on uh, saving tricks that work. Cause uh, the more tricks we use, the better, uh, and sometimes it can be fun just to do it. So, what are some of the tricks that that they're talking about? Um, well, one is called the nickel builder. Uh, and that's basically is you begin saving uh, a nickel on your first day. And then uh, every day after that, you add a nickel to it. So the first day's a nickel, mm-hmm. second day's a dime, third day's 15 cents, fourth day's 20 cents. Every day you add a nickel to what you're saving and, and you put it aside. Okay, well um, – the last day of the year, on the 365th day of the year, you'll only have to put back $18.25. So do you think that would be doable? I think so. I okay, think so you've saved every day. Mm-hmm. That's, a, oh, that's a habit. Habits are good. Right. Well, how much money do you think you'd have at the end of the year? Oh, boy. A um, couple hundred dollars? $3,339.75. Wow. That's impressive. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Well, that's a trick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, that's that's a pretty good deal. Um, uh, another trick, uh, they call it the Lincoln Logger, uh, you know, and where do they get that from? Who's on the $5 bill? Mr. Abraham Lincoln. There you go. So uh, another way to do it is every time you get a $5 bill, you put it in a savings envelope. You know, it's not like we get $5 bills every day and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But uh, typically, um, if you do that, you should be able to save about $1,400 uh, a year just by putting your $5 bills back um, into an, a savings envelope. Um, you know, not a not a bad way to do it. Now, yeah, That's easy enough. Yep. Okay. Here's another one. Um uh, basically, what what's called the college rewind. Now, this this one I'll. This uh, sounds we, fun. Yeah. Well, again, <laughs> uh, and and so in essence, one week every two or three months, 
yeah, but they're and this is every three months. They want it to be doable. It is to spend money like you were in college. In other words, how did you spend money <laughs> when you were in college? Well, uh, the bottom line is is that we didn't have credit cards. Uh, we ate. Raymond noodles, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we basically ate on the cheap. We um, didn't spend money that we didn't have. Most of us were cash spenders in college, you know, that sort of thing. So what are some of the things that you did uh, when, I mean, in terms of uh, when you were in school? How did you save money? I mean, how did you get by? Oh, it was it was peanut butter and jelly every there, day. There you go. Uh, I mean, I won't get into the beer budget but uh <laughs> well yeah, i'm sure I'm it was sure you, reduced yeah, yeah. it, it okay. was reduced but yeah between that and cereal and ramen noodles as you said that's that was my my diet yeah. there yeah for and if you had years. and if you had a um uh, a, a swanky meal. It it wasn't it wasn't a ribeye. It might have been a flank steak. Yeah, or, yeah, <laughs> or a sure. round steak. Even that was <laughs> highfalutin in my book. Yeah, there you go. And so, the bottom line is is that um, if you if you feel you know in in college you you felt like a pauper, uh, and you were. So you spent like one. And so this is simply a way rewind your finances one week every three months and spend like a pauper. Uh, and and um, you know you save money uh, that, by, by doing that. That's way. a good one because you survive college, and if you can mm-hmm. do it, then you can do it now. Well, Bill, uh, let's yeah. take a quick pause here, and we'll jump back into these saving tips. I'm enjoying these; these are good. Mm-hmm. So stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Good morning to you. And Bill, we are uh, we're going over some saving tips and tricks right now. I'm really enjoying these. These are these are kind of outside the box thinking, and, mm-hmm. and while they're unique, they're they're all pretty simple. Yes, they are. And and but they're they're tricks. I won't call them tips. They're, I mean, it's, in other words, we just we need uh, uh, little tricks to help us do things sometimes. Um, so, what's another one? Another one is called the perpetual payoff. And so, this is how this one works: is that let's say that you have a car loan. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually, it, you know, after five or six years, you get that car loan paid off, right? Right. Okay. Well, the perpetual payoff is when you get the car loan paid off, keep paying that same amount of money into a savings account for as long as you can. Now, why do you do that? Well, obviously, uh, your budget has already been created to make that car payment. So it's not affecting your lifestyle to keep making that car payment after you've had the car payment paid off. Mm-hmm. 
in that way, you can save a, a fairly significant amount of money just by continuing to make that payment, but you're making the payment to yourself. And another good way to, to save money. Yeah, you're talking about uh, the value of a car over a couple of years. You know, that's right. I mean, you can save a lot of money in a couple of years by doing, by doing that, and it doesn't change your lifestyle at all. Um, another way to do it, a um, little different thing, is if, if and when you get a bonus at work, you know, that's typically unexpected money. Mm-hmm. And if don't spend it, in other words, save the bonus. In other words, put the entire bonus aside uh, into an investment account uh, and let it ride. Because obviously your budget is has been created without a bonus because you're not entitled to a bonus. It's a surprise. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, it, it's just another nice way uh, of uh, saving. Another thing on the opposite side is how do you, you know, can you spend less money? Well, another way uh, to do it is what, what they call the double deal. And this is where you set aside a day or two occasionally to renegotiate some contracts that we all have to reduce how much we pay. So what kind of contracts am I talking about? Uh, where you can effectively negotiate down what you're paying. Well, there are a few that I can think of, and I think my sister-in-law is probably the best expert at at doing this. Most of us don't like to negotiate. Uh, you know, it makes us uh, feel an- anxious. I think. But, um, you know, if you just do it matter-of-factly, you know, I'm not paying that. That's too much. In other words, you're uh, some of the things that, that my sister-in-law has negotiated down significantly was how much she paid for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. It's just like you'd be surprised if they think they're going to lose you as a customer because you're just not going to pay that anymore. Uh, they'll give you a far, far better price. And, and you don't necessarily take the first price you, 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 because, okay, they've negotiated it down. You know, they've already given you a better price. They're hoping you'll just grab the first one they tell you. Um, but the bottom line, if you say, no, that's still too high, I'm not going to pay that either, they'll, they'll come down more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a newspa- you know, the newspapers will hate me for saying it because they're, they're ripe for that because uh, they, they can't afford to lose their customers. Same thing's true for your cable bill. Um, uh, your, uh, the same things can be true for your telephone bill uh, as it relates uh, to that. Of course, sometimes your cable bill and your telephone bill is all interconnected, but uh, uh, and, and the like. It might be more difficult with your mobile phone uh, in terms of that, because it's already so competitive, but there, there, there is some negotiating room in that too, and I, I can't think of some other ones uh, as it relates to bills that you can negotiate. But uh, everybody's got them, and uh, we're all paying too much. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Basically, you can just look through your monthly budget and see, okay, you know, what could possibly be negotiable. The cable one is a, that's a big one. I mean, those guys. Uh, they have a whole retentions department, so it's kind of exactly. expected. Well, any, uh, I mean, basically any any group uh, that has, you know, that doesn't want to lose you to a competitor or can't afford to lose you at all. I mean, it's the kind of thing. It's, I guess, if 
for the, you know, in the United States, we're not accustomed to negotiating prices. Um, you know, a lot of uh, if if you go anywhere else in the world, there are a lot of markets that it's all negotiation. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, folks who come from other countries are much more skillful at negotiating uh, just basic living expenses than most Americans, quite frankly, because we're just used to going into the store, seeing the price, and we either pay it or we don't. Right. But, uh, you know, the bottom line, if you're in a, a foreign market and you start negotiating and you start walking away, what do you think happens? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> exactly. And the price comes down a lot. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, and, and it's – so anyway, negotiating uh, for expenses can be helpful. But you have to set aside time to do it. That's, that's the key. If you don't, you'll never take the time to do it. You'll you'll just every year you'll get an increase and there you go. There are even some companies who will do it for you on your behalf. You know, they'll take a little percentage of whatever you save. Well, but, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll have to pass some information on to you and maybe we can talk about that on a future program, but there's a whole industry behind this. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised at that. Uh, but it, the bottom line is there's a lot of negotiating room that a lot of folks just don't realize is there. Uh, and uh, folks who are conscious about spending money uh, need to know that they they can do that and should do it for their own good. Yeah, because yeah. every penny you save is is uh, a penny earned, as Ben Franklin would say. That's right. And the sooner you do it, the better with that compound interest. Well, Bill, we'll uh, we'll wrap up our discussion on saving tricks, and then we'll also get into a discussion of whether or not you should pay off your mortgage early. We'll do that in just a bit. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I'm Jason Kong. Bill Alexander is right over here. You can find him online at WGALaw.com. You can also catch his TV show, Money Secrets, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and every Sunday morning on the CW22. And, Bill, this is a, another fun program that you do. We, we just got done with some savings tricks. I'm sure there's uh, there's more tricks and secrets in Money Secrets. Well, and – Another one that I think is really important for those of us who are nearing retirement or already retired is, do we pay off our mortgage? Mm-hmm. You know, Now, I have always said that most of us, with few exceptions, are far better going into retirement debt-free. It, it makes – because obviously uh, we know that our income is going to be less – and so if our expenses are less, that's very, very helpful. It, it allows us to make do in retirement. But if we still have a mortgage, that's a huge expense uh, for a lot of folks. And so for a lot of retirees, if they still have a mortgage or if they're paying rent, that that uh, is a huge percentage of their retirement income. So I, I have – I mean, I'd much rather have a guarantee, you know, it's paid off – it's done, and so we can we can live better because our money goes farther. We're not having to use it to pay a mortgage or to pay rent, and so owning a home and having owning it outright 
by the time you retire is a goal that everybody should have, at least in, in my mind. Now, there are financial advisors who disagree with me. They'll say, no, don't, don't pay that mortgage off because you're just paying uh, principal down. Uh, you're not really paying any uh, interest on that money, and you should instead invest your money with me and let me make you a lot of money on, on that. And, uh, you know, that may be true for some people. But it's to me that's a rare truth, and and so um, uh, what I would say is this: it might make sense for folks who, in retirement, have high income, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are folks with high income in retirement, particularly if they can still deduct the mortgage. But guess what? Most people in retirement don't itemize their taxes; they take a standard deduction. And guess how much interest deduction you get if you take the standard deduction and you don't itemize? Oh, I have no idea. Nothing. No, In other okay. words, if you're taking a standard deduction, you are getting no benefit, tax benefit, uh, out of the interest you're paying on your mortgage. So wow. the, the bottom line, and most retirees do not itemize. Mm-hmm. So if you have high income and you're itemized, and it and for somehow it still works out better for you to uh, keep your mortgage for some reason, then okay, I, I could go with that argument. But that's for most people, it's still better to be debt free and not have to worry about um, somebody else. See, the other thing about mortgages too is that if you have a mortgage, the lender also controls. Um, other things. In other words, it can, you have to have a certain type of insurance. You know, if you might need, they might require you to have flood insurance and wind and hail insurance and lab, you know, ton, you know, basically, uh, for the worst case scenarios, you also have mortgage insurance mm-hmm. and all of those expenses come at. Guess what? You're lost. You're not making anything. So. If you're debt-free, it gives you the flexibility to make those choices yourself as to you know how much insurance you're going to have or whether you have insur- insurance or not. Um, you know those kind of things. So that's that's an important thing. So uh, there are others who say, well, okay, pay down down the debt uh, faster. You know, double down or pay extra on the principal each month. And with a large mortgage, that makes sense. So you get the the paid faster. Another trick is to pay twice monthly. Mm-hmm. In, a, in other words, you pay, instead of paying one amount once a month, you divide that in half and pay half of it, you know, in mid-month and the rest of it at the end of the month. And and that actually, even though you're spending the same dollar each month, it actually pays your mortgage off faster if you do that. So that, that helps as well. Um, and so an, another way to go, which helps some people, depending on circumstances, is to sell their home, take all the equity, and then buy something for cash. You know, that certainly gives you a debt-free home if that works, but um, it, it just depends on the circumstances. But I'm not a believer that rent is a good thing uh, or a mortgage is a good thing uh, once you're into retirement with lower income. Yeah, less burdens when you have less income is is usually better. We'll be back in just a bit to wrap up the program. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. 
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and I am Jason Kong. And Bill, you've you've taught us some tricks to save some money. You've taught us what to do with our children when they turn 18. You've <laughs> just let us know whether ideas. or not to pay just, off our mortgage. You've, you've helped us out a lot today. Just, just some ideas, that's all. It's a lot of fun, though. Well, uh, what do you say we do it again next week? We will be back. Very good. Well, we will see you again next Saturday morning at 11 for another edition of Asset Protection with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more information about him online at WGALaw.com. And don't forget to catch Money Secrets tomorrow morning at 8 on CW22. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.